The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square, this is Fast Money. I am Brian Sullivan. In for Melissa tonight, your trader lineup today, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, Bono and Eisen, and Pete Nigerian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Ahead on Fast, the semi-surge, shares of NVIDIA, Intel, AMD, topping the tape today. A look at what is behind this tech turnaround and what a chip revival may mean for the macro market. Plus, helping your money grow. With fertilizer, a top analyst set to tell us why the war in Ukraine, sanctions against Russia, and rising natural gas prices are reasons to dig into the ag complex. And check out this mystery chart. Here's a big hint. It's a Dow component, and in the last eight days has jumped nearly 15%. Oh, by the way, it also added the equivalent of a PNG and almost a Walmart in its market cap in just over a week. That's a big hint. A name and that trade coming up. All right. Hello, everybody. A lot to do tonight. And why don't we start with what we'll call the crude conundrum. Social and environmental concerns continue to have a growing crowd calling for big funds and endowments to dump any fossil fuel investments. The latest Chicago City Council banning investments in coal, oil and gas companies. Sounds really nice on paper. But as we're finding out in Europe, energy security is also national security. And scarce supply and rising prices have made domestic production even more important, at least in the near term. Take this. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamin Dimon calling for something like a new Marshall Plan to help Europe wean itself off Vladimir Putin's oil and gas. But even as many funds are dumping anything not called ESG investments, something interesting is happening. Oil and gas stocks have been huge winners for investors still willing to own them. Since the beginning of 2021, the sector has far outperformed the S&P, nearly doubling in that time. The divergence even more pronounced this year. But with these opposing views of the sector and big gains, what to do with these stocks now? Uh, Dan Nathan, you're on set. Good to see you, by the way, in person, in person right now. We'll go yeah. to Guy. He's been hot on us as well, but we'll go with on set. What do we do? Is the sector come too far? Well, too here's fast? the deal. So I've been in the markets for 25 years, and what's really interesting about energy stocks versus the S&P 500, the relative underperformance of energy during that time period, for a whole host of reasons terrible. that you just talked about, it's been terrible. Okay, so now all of a sudden, we had this black swan event, which was the pandemic. We saw all the disruption to supply chains and demand destruction and all of that, and we're meant to be coming out of that in getting back to maybe some of those kind of pre-pandemic levels. And then you have this geopolitical situation, which has just further exacerbated all of the above. Now, the, the national security elements of it, I think, are obviously really important. But I'm say, if you're an investor and you're thinking about all of this at this time where there's so much uncertainty, piling into them here, where they are right now, relative to what we think we know about it, I, I just don't think makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. I know some other people on the panel have been positioning for this. Guy has been talking yeah. about the bubble 
bubbling up of the increase or the need to actually kind of open up our markets here domestically for years now. And I've been listening to him, but it's not just a trade that I've been involved in. So I just don't think buying it here where we are, I think that we're more likely to see a mean reversion and move back towards that underperformance. Okay, well, I'm old enough to remember Guy Adami, a gentleman by the name of Guy Adami. On this very program, numerous times in the last <laughs> year and a half before it was sexy to do so, talking about the SLB, the Schlumberger, and a few of these other global services companies. Obviously, for a long time, people said, ah, energy stocks at Dan's point, forget about them, they're dead money. Guess what? Now they're not. And I wonder, Guy, if we're seeing some of these fence sitters who are like, well, I don't know, they're ESG, they're not ESG, whatever, suddenly jump in because it's a lot easier to be ESG when they're losing money than it is now. Yeah, it's a fair point. Listen, Pete's been talking about this for the last seemingly 18 months as well. You know, he, he's talked about certain names. I've talked about certain names. I appreciate you pointing it out. You know, you mentioned a Marshall Plan that Jamie Dimon talked about. I mean, I, the, our energy policy seems to be the Gary Marshall Plan for you sitcom fans out there because it's a joke. And it's now coming home to roost now. I'll say this. You know, you think it's long in the tooth. I understand why people would say that. I don't think that's the case. And if you look at what crude specifically has done over the last few months, textbook, blow off top, retracement to the uptrend line, bounced off it. And I think this is the next leg higher. And I think we go significantly higher. OIH obviously comprised mostly of Schlumberger, Halliburton, to a lesser extent, Baker Hughes. I think on valuation alone, you can make a compelling case. Pete, we'll talk about the XLE and some other names. Obviously, that's Exxon and Chevron um, heavy. But I think the energy play is still intact. I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. And you don't just flip a switch and magically all these problems go away. Well, the OIH for one, Pete, is a very interesting ETF because, to Guy's point, yeah. it's almost 50% just three stocks, Sumberzay, Halliburton, and Baker yeah. Hughes. So if, if they don't perform, you're not probably going to make any money on the OIH. The XLE is far more widespread. So is there one that you would favor over the other based on the type of stocks that are concentrated in whatever it may be? Or do you just go for single stocks themselves, Pete? I always go for the single stocks when they're when it's available for me, Brian. Absolutely. But I will say this. The XOP is where you really want to go. Forget the OIH for a second. I go to the XOP because that is where the big beta really does dominate the entire composite of what you're looking at. XLE, you're talking like Guy just said, Exxon and Chevron. That really does take it up. And then you just mentioned there are three stocks that really work in, in the other. So I'd rather be in the XOP, but I'd rather really always be in individual names. It's why I've got so much exposure right now, Brian. And you and I have talked about this in the past, but to Guy's point, when we've seen energy move, specifically crude oil, it'll move up in a hurry and then pause. A little bit of a pullback. Move up again. And it's been on a basically about a four to six month run ever since November of 2020 when we were $38. And obviously, look where we are now. I think we're on another one of these semi-pauses. Although, just a week ago, we were 94, 95. Just yesterday and today, we were close to 115. Now we've pulled back a little bit off of that. So I do think, and I agree with Guy, I think there's plenty of room still to the upside. There's a lot of different issues that are playing in here, but you want to have the beta. You want to have the names that are going to move at one and a half, two and a half, three times what everything else is going to be yeah. moving at. And I think that's why you want to be in the XOP. Well, I'm going to pull a Peyton Manning here and maybe call a bit of an audible. If we could throw up, if there's time, guys, maybe the OIH or the XOP against crude oil for five or ten years, I want to make a point, Bonowin, which is this. Uh, the time that oil has been at this level, which, by the way, was only once, which was 2008, the OIH was at something like $1,000. So even with its current run, 
the price of oil and the oil stocks are still wildly disconnected, are they not? So one of those is mispriced. Either oil is way too high or if we can go yeah, even longer term than that, guys. Thank you, by the way. Either oil is way too high or the stocks are still way too low. Do you have a point of view on this, Bonowin? Uh, I do, and I'm glad you are um, revisiting, a, you know, a bit of history uh, to, to Dan's point. I'm going I'm to take the finer points that everyone has made and see if I can kind of meld them together. So, reflecting back to that time period you mentioned, 04 through 07 ish, when we kind of saw similar price action in oil, and a lot of people rushed in, were a little too, a uh, little too much, a little too late. So, in terms of rushing into a crowded trade, I think Dan makes a very good point, and you want to avoid doing so. If you have been under invested oil, though, I can understand how the pain to the upside is intolerable. And to Pete's point, you probably want to be paying, playing that through the XOP because it gives you the highest beta through the upside. Still, I think that the, the ESG overhang is there, which is why I probably wouldn't be in uh, the companies if truly what I wanted was correlation to the oil. I think you've got to be actually in the commodity. But I think the, the XLE components part, and the OIH components specifically, which although have a lower, lower beta, lower beta, are still more of operating companies and you're allowed to kind of pick and parcel in terms of expertise there. So that's the backdrop and that's how I'd be playing it, kind of wrapping it all. But here, uh, okay, all well said, but Guy Adami, here's the thing about ESG, okay? It's very pliable, right? I, I've been talking to people and they said, well, Anything fossil fuels cannot be ESG because they lost money to Dan's point at the top forever, and so it's very easy to dump them. Now you say, okay, well, they're not very E, environmental, obviously, but they're working on carbon capture. But guess what they have done? They've maybe changed their board or planted 100 trees at their corporate headquarters, and I'm literally not making that up. You can, you can manipulate the ESG side of this, I think, pretty quickly if you really want to own these names. No, listen, no question about it. And I think people, I think a lot of people out there think these are the 1970s energy companies. And remember those commercials, people throwing garbage out there. This is not 1970s. These companies are so much better run, far more efficient. And I think to a certain extent, they're far more environmentally conscious. I'm not going to get added at Twitter. That's just the facts. You can go to their websites and check it out. The reality is they're much better companies now. So if you really think about it, they should fall under the auspices of ESG the right way for a lot of these companies. You know, again, I find myself with Pete on these. Individual names make a lot of sense. Brian, and you and I talked about it earlier in the week. Look at what Valero's done over the last couple of months. I mean, that's making a multi-year high. And if you look at it in terms of the setup, that probably still has room to the upside. And I'll throw another name, just why not? Paul Sankey was on here a couple months ago. We were talking about Marathon Petroleum MPC kind when it was a $65 stock. Look where that is now bumping up against prior highs. So there's so much room, in my opinion, for so many of these names. You just got to figure out which one suits you best. So it's interesting. We're talking about the individual names. And, t and Pete obviously has a lot of exposure, and he's probably been riding them up um, the appropriate way. I'm just going to kind of zoom out a little bit. Let's just talk a bit macro here. Let's go back to the last time that the Fed was coming off of QE, coming off of ZERP, right, uh, after the financial crisis, 2013, 14, 15, 16. What did we see? We saw rates going higher. We saw the dollar go higher. And we saw crude go lower. And if you go look at that long-term crude chart, right in these levels where we are in WTI is where we topped out. And in 15 
15 and 16, there were a couple gross scares, right? And we saw crude go down 65%. It was a bloodbath, right? And so what I would just kind of think, what's different this time is that crude is up and it looks like it wants to be like sustain these price levels for a whole host of reasons that are very different than the last time around. So are we about to enter the stagflationary period? And that would be probably sustainable for well, some are we? Well, well, well I mean, you tell me. Is if, this if 1979? The, well, if the price of commodities are going to stay high for reasons that are not particularly economic, if they're more geopolitical, then that might not be a great situation for crude oil ultimately either. And, and, and listen, we spent a lot of time on this show talking about all of the major auto companies, right, are moving their fleets by 2030. And what you may say that is an eternity from now, but you, I heard you this morning on your show talking about it. These companies, if they're going to invest, they have to be thinking about 230 and beyond 2030 to make those sorts of investments. Correct? Yeah, and by the way, thank you for that as well. Doing yeah. 10 the hard way, Pete, as we say it. We're going to bring in our guest in just a minute here. Uh, but just one more quick comment from you because you've been investing for shots in a polite way. We'll say a, a while. Uh, what environment are we in here? Is this going to be 2008 where oil collapses in two years? Let's not forget, in two weeks, two years ago, oil was negative $37. That was less than right. two years ago from right now. Or is this going to be, to Dan's point, the 1970s where we see continued inflation, slowing economic growth, and the stock market makes these bear market bounces, but otherwise stinks. The Dow gained one point from 1970 to 1980. I think what we found out, Brian, is this. This is more economic than it has been geopolitical, and here's why I would say that. Ukraine, Russia, how long ago did that start? Uh, because we were running since November of 2020, right? And we talked, you just talked about in reference when we were actually negative. So just take a look at the run we had before this happened. I think this is a much different move than a lot of people have portrayed this to be. It really isn't as much about Russia, Ukraine, but it's, it is another point that I think you can add to a list of different reasons why this is moving to the upside. One of which is we all love green energy. As a matter of fact, many of these names are embracing green energy themselves. But but, you know, at what time frame are we really going to be energy dependent on the green side where it's something that's much more in play? 10 years, 20 years? I, I, I'm not sure, but I know it's going to take some time, Brian. And as you know, yeah. you don't just turn on the spigot and turn off the spigot. So for those reasons, I think this is a much more legitimate run than, than maybe it's getting, getting credit for yeah, right but now. We're, you know, and by the way, the TAN, the solar ETF has done well too, guys. Renewables have done well, although renewables are getting crushed by higher gas costs as well because it goes into aluminum smelting for solar panels. It goes into the cost of carbon fiber for windmills. We're going to need everything because everybody wants to live in a 4,000-square-foot house with air conditioning nine months a year in Phoenix or 10 months a year, whatever. All right, your next guest sees investors getting burned if they have not been in energy, but is it too late? Savita Subramanian is the head of U.S. equity and quantitative strategy at B of A Securities, no doubt champing at the bit, and it is champing, not chomping, by the way, to get into this conversation, Savita. And there's something you have pointed out in your notes, which I just love. Uh, you heard my point on ESG. Have you done any research to see that so-called ESG investors are finding ways, wink, wink, to own some of these energy stocks? So look, I think that ESG investors have been buying energy companies because energy companies are a lot more investable today by ESG funds. And, you know, one of the things that's changed dramatically is the idea that, ES, uh, that energy companies got the memo. They're no longer 
um, focused on, on production. They're focused on capital discipline. Um, more energy companies have carbon reduction targets than any other sector of the S&P 500, little known fact. More energy companies actually pay their C-suite in alignment with meeting reduction targets. So this is really a sea change in the industry. I don't think it's just greenwashing. I think that this is one of these areas where energy companies are actually investable again for all the right reasons. On top of that, you have a, what looks like a super cycle in oil, supply constraints, mm -hmm. gated capital. I mean, think about when tobacco, when smoking was ruled as causing cancer. Tobacco stocks proceeded to outperform the market for the next 30 to 40 years. I think this is one mm. of those areas where the sector is trading at sort of a sin stock discount, but is likely to yeah. continue to outperform the market. And the surprise is that despite its stellar performance, we upgraded energy to an overweight in November of 2020. The sector has crushed it since then, but the average long only fund is still markedly underweight the sector. So I think so those are the bit. reasons that we like energy. But yeah, I, mean, I apologize, way. I have to stop there because I have a hard stop right now. But I like energy and I love being on the show. So thanks for having me. So Vita Subramanian producing herself. I love it. The whole segment, self-included. We're going to do that. I'm out of here. And she cuts off. That's a smash. I, I love live television, by the way. That's fantastic. So Vita, if you're out there, by the way, you can still hear us. Thank you very much. Um, I don't want to drag politics into this, but I, I do have to a little bit bottom in the sense that Owning oil and gas companies is a bit of a, a risky proposition this way. On one hand, you got the president today saying we need more LNG to Europe, that LNG, liquefied natural gas, may come out of the U.S. On the other hand, on April 6th, a bunch of oil and gas CEOs are going to get grilled on Capitol Hill over climate change. There's talk about excise, you know, outsized profit taxes. So they're getting ripped by Congress on one side. On the other hand, they're kind of secretly meeting at the White House. There is a regulatory overhang i've got to imagine to investing in some of these stocks uh i mean i i, I honestly i wait this a uh, pretty low i don't really wait this uh very heavily you know we kind of saw the same uh song and dance circus type of situation going on with some of the big flying tech companies and it was all you know uh much to do for nothing so no i i wouldn't that would not that would not factor into my uh, investing calculus. In terms of the geopolitical risk, I think it very much is at the forefront. I mean, that's not to be ignored. But this is a hiccup, uh, you know, maybe a headline, but that would not really? at all factor into my yeah, you, are you, are you as Are you as sanguine as Bonon is about the risk of some, you know, surprise 30%, you know, excess income tax being slapped on these companies? I can't spell it, and I don't know what it means, but I'll just say that I am, just so you know we can move past the sanguine point. No, I'm with Bonawan on this one. I think it is a bit of a sideshow. And listen, listen to what Savita said before she tapped out a few minutes ago. She said basically, more eloquently, a lot of the things we were saying. These companies are ESG for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. I just think people misplace them and think it's still, again, the 1970s. They're extraordinarily well-run, to a large extent, environmentally friendly companies. The problem they're going to have is they're going to start to report probably in some cases record earnings and people would be like, look at these greedy energy companies profiteering off high prices. I think what you're saying is they can't win either way, but I still think you can own the stocks. Yeah, and there's also a new SEC rule floating around potentially that every company, particularly on gas, is going to have to start putting their climate disclosures in basically their quarterly earnings stuff and their annual reports. So there's a lot more 
that is happening under the hood of Washington that we know still everybody here seems to like the names. All right. And Savita <laughs> tapping out. Boom. All right. Coming up, the chip rip. Semi-stocks breaking out. So what names, if any, have more room to run that trade is next? Plus, apparently gains don't fall far from the tree. That is another hint to our mystery stock. The name with the great big old run in the past week. If you can't get that chart, I got nothing for you. We're going to reveal it coming up. Stick around. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the chip stocks ripping higher today. NVIDIA, its best day since November. Intel, its best day since last January. Some new love from investors across the semi-spectrum. But why? Pete, you notice some interesting options activity to go along these big equity moves. What are you seeing? Yep. Yeah, well, there's a great example would be if you go go back a little over a week ago in NVIDIA, it was actually trading 226. They were buying the March 230 calls. I think they did pretty well on that trade with the stock today getting over $280. That's absolutely amazing. And that wasn't the only one in NVIDIA. They actually bought again at the 270 strike, and they bought size once again, 10,000 of those. So when you look at some of these trades, Intel's the best example for today. We actually had buyers of Intel today that were buying the April 55 strike calls, and they just continue to come into different names. We had 50,000 calls being bought in AMD on Tuesday at Mm. the 120 strike. All of these give you just an, an idea of just how powerful in the options world. I know Dan pays very much close attention to this, just like I do. But when you start to see that, Brian, it's not that difficult. This is very much like what we'd seen in energy. It's what we've seen in the financials. And we've been seeing for a long period of time now with these semiconductors where we see this huge buying coming into the space, not just in a single name, but multiple names. And it's just amazing what we're seeing happening in a really, really short period of time. All those March calls expire by tomorrow, but basically every single one of them has already paid for themselves three, four, five, ten times over. It's been a really fast run in some of these semiconductor names. Dan, I'll give you a stat overall that I dare I say is random but interesting, which is that Charlie Bellolo, Compound Capital, noting that the stock market, the overall market's gone up 1%, six of the last eight sessions. That's only happened twice in 80 years, 74 and 2020. Does that matter? So in bear markets. 
You think it's the bear market back? Well, I'm just, you just said 74 in 2020. When in okay. 2020? Was it early in 2020 or like on the way back in April? Listen, I, great stat. Um, I, I would just say this. I think what Pete's talking about with NVIDIA and AMD is really interesting, right? Though These were two companies that literally are at the forefront of so many of the buzziest things that are going on in technology over the last few years. So it has not been hard for investors to justify multiples of sales on semiconductors. This is something that we're usually talking about on SaaS companies, okay? So, you know, NVIDIA is a 70 or a $700 billion market cap company. It grains $70 billion in market cap today alone, closing up 10%. Guy can wow. do that math here, okay? Trade that 20 times sales. <laughs> so you have to kind of believe that this is a company that is broadening out its portfolio, and, and that is the, the bull case. I just say this about AMD. It went from 164 down to 100 earlier this month. Here we are, and, and Pete just said they were buying, what, 120s or something yep. like that, short-dated. This is one that trades much cheaper than uh, NVIDIA. And so if you think that this is a company that's going to close out this Q1 well from an uh, uh, you know, from a fundamental standpoint, then you're going to be looking to that earnings event here. They're expected to have 30% earnings and sales growth. So to me, AMD makes more sense to me than NVIDIA right here on value. Well, the market with a big bounce, maybe that is that, that bear market bounce. We'll see. Very interesting stat there, the overall market. All right, we have got a long way to go left tonight. Here's what's coming up next. A tech titan tear. One stock making a huge move. So is it time to bite into even more gains? That name, next. Plus, a five-star stock. Uber, driving higher, as the cab clash comes to an end. The details are coming up. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's get a quick check on where the markets closed out their day. If you missed it, a good day. Look at that. The S&P up nearly 1.5%. The Nasdaq up nearly 2%. Both indexes now positive for the week. And if you missed that previous stat from Compound Capital, it's worth saying again, the S&P 500 up 1% in six of the past eight sessions. And believe it or not, that's only happened twice in 80 years. Twice. 1974 and 2020. All right, meantime... It is time for the big reveal. Got to be the easiest mystery chart of all time. Come on, it's Apple on an eight-day win streak. The longest such streaks November. Shares up 15.5% during that run. Today, another headline. Bono and the company reportedly planning to launch an iPhone subscription service. Dan talked about it as well, but Bono, I'll come to you first. Is this just kind of like a permanent rent of your iPhone? And is that a reason to own the stock? Or is something else happening with Apple shares here? Well, I think, I think that particular um, offering makes a lot of sense. It reminds me of this company, Rent-A-Center, uh, that was all Ooh. the uproar probably about a decade ago. And this company would literally make about three to five times what the cost was within literally like a 12-year period. So I can totally understand the business model there. It makes a lot of sense, particularly when you talk about bolting on to the service and hardware, uh, you know, massive business, core businesses that are already there. So in terms of that strategic play, totally makes sense. There's been a lot of discussion around Apple trading like a growth company, but now being a value company. And I think there is something to be said there. I, like Dan, think this market is a little frothy, and so it's hard for me to buy in here. But I think with Apple, you can't short it. You've either got to say, listen, I don't understand why it is where it is, but but I'm going to own it. Or I'm willing to stomach the opportunity costs of not owning it, but you can't short it. But I, I, no, I, I, I don't think I can buy in here, and I do tip my cap because I think this is a very crafty play for them to extract additional value for shareholders. 
Yeah, so a few weeks ago, just full disclosure, I was pretty bearish on the stock when it was at current levels here, and I thought it would go back to 140. Well, it found some really good support at 150, so I've been wrong. It's back here at 174. I think this announcement is a good announcement. I think it's something that a lot of people who track the company very closely, and they've seen their ability for services to grow as a percentage of their total revenue, they see it. It makes total sense. If you want recurring revenue also on your hardware, it's going to justify the multiple it's trading at 28 times versus expected EPS growth about 8%, which is Basically what consensus is calling for the S&P 500, but the S&P 500 trades at 19 times, okay? So that recurring revenue model should be good. It should be good for margins, a 43% gross margin company. You get that recurring. That's how you keep it. And just really quickly here, their ASPs are about $850. Samsung's ASPs are about $270, okay? They're locking in an ASP that is much higher, that they're spreading it over a period of time. So, yes, I think bulls will love this. Bears should be paying attention to it. They already have the iPhone upgrade program, so they know how this kind of works a little bit bad for the carriers. Yeah, ASP guy, average selling price, not a deadly snake, by the way, commonly found in, in Egypt. Uh, that said, Bono and making a first ever on CNBC comparing Apple to Rent-A-Center. Your take. <laughs> it's interesting. You know, I think of ASP and the only songs that I can, the only artists that I think have ever put an ASP in their lyrics was the great REM out of Athens, Georgia, as you know, Brian Sullivan. My take is this. You know, if you had trouble with the valuation, this announcement helps you wrap your arms around it. To Dan's point, I will tell you, you know, in mid to late February, I thought Apple was going to 138, which was the October low. On March 14th, you know, we were looking pretty smart when it's trading $150.10. Off to the races since. Something sticks with me, though. I think Pete was on last Monday. And at the top of the show, he mentioned he was seeing call buying in the VIX 70 strikes for June. And I got to tell you something. He's typically right with these things. And if that comes to fruition, I don't think it necessarily means uh, positive things for the broader market. So in the back of my head, I'm thinking VIX at 70. And I'm thinking maybe another leg down for Apple. Maybe another leg down for Apple. All right. Good conversation, gentlemen. All right. Coming up after some huge runs. Is there any reason to still buy the big fertilizer stocks, or do we call this a crop top? That is next. Plus, the other stocks making headlines, and hopefully some money for you. That was for you, Nigerian. The details and Fast Money returns. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back. Uber giving beaten up investors a bit of a break today. Shares up nearly 5%. The company reaching a deal to list all New York City taxis. That's right, yellow taxis on its app. A deal could help the company deal with current driver shortages and ease higher fares. 
Still, shares down nearly 50 percent over the past year. Dan, you flagged the move for us today. Kind of an odd move just from the taxi side, but from a stock side, what do you make of it? Yeah, no, I struggle with the announcement fundamentally for the company, and I think they've kind of already flagged the fact that they want to do this not just in New York. And we obviously know that New York is a very densely populated area, and there's lots of taxis here, and that's their big competition. Um, You know, I I just don't see it as something like if I'm looking at this company and I'm expecting this sort of growth that um, consensus is calling for 30, 40 percent revenue growth, they're still losing a lot of money. and they're going to be for a couple of years. I don't really know what this does for them from a competitive standpoint. So, um, you know, I'm not a buyer on this news. Probably gets a taxi and limousine commissioner off their, you know what, Pete Nigerian, are you a buyer of Uber here? Or is this because their whole business plan was to to, to destroy taxis. Now they're a pro taxi company. What is Uber? I think it's really interesting. You're right. And and I'll tell you, Brian, I've been frustrated for a long time because we all thought that, that it took a long time before they actually IPO'd, right? And they still don't make money, to Dan's point. The problem is, yes, they've had a quarter where they've made money, whatever. I mean, the reality is this is a great product for all of us. But as far as owning stock, you wouldn't want to own this because until they can actually prove to us they can consistently actually make money doing what they're doing, I mean, it's, all, it's, it, it's just not something I think you want to be involved with. And, you know, I think, Didi, if you're going to be in any of these, the Chinese version, hmm. that, that one I think is a lot different. I, I, I like that one from the standpoint of their balance sheet is phenomenal. We've seen some huge call buying there in the past. And so that's a name where I think if you look at that and you see what kind of what their numbers really look like on their balance sheet, it makes much more sense. If one's going to work, I think the other works. Obviously, there's an investment as well. But I think Didi could outpace something like Uber to the upside. Yeah, this could be a great RBI in Worldwide Exchange, 5 a.m. Eastern, by the way, which is has any company lost more money than Uber five years after its IPO? I wonder if any company's lost more money than Uber ever in American history. It's a challenge to our viewers. All right, moving on to another buzzkill. This one on the grill. Traeger sinking almost 12% today to a new all-time low. It's the maker of wood pellet grills and smokers, noting on its earnings report that pressure on the consumer and higher freight costs will impact future sales. Heading into spring, Guy, this is when we're supposed to be like bullish grills and short Canada goose. What's the trade here? I didn't realize that was a trade, Bullish Grills. No, I mean, what's interesting is, you know, it really speaks to exactly that. The input costs, the inflationary pressures that all these companies are feeling, how is it going to manifest itself into the stocks? And that's anecdotal, clearly. Um, And I'm sure they're wonderful grills. But you have to sort of look across the landscape and say, what is this going to mean to retailers at large? And I still think if that's the case, you find yourself in, I think people would agree with this, Target wins in this environment. I think Walmart does. And I think the dollar stores, too. So the pain that those companies will feel will be offset, I think, in some of these other names. You still got to look yeah. at Dollar General. I think Dollar Tree is still a buy here, too. Traeger Grills, Bonwin, listen, they're higher end. I mean, you do wonder, is this a one-off thing? Is this a Traeger problem? Or is this the sign of some cracks in the consumer because the price of everything is off the charts? Hard to know. Boom. That part, exactly right there. I mean, at some point, the consumer just becomes too stretched. I don't know about you, when I'm paying, you know, four or five dollars at the pump, I'm definitely not thinking about buying a new grill. And we talk about ASP. The only snake that's coming out here and biting anyone is the, the price of these grills, $1,400, $1,600 as I was looking through some of these. I really don't think that's where the consumer is going to be pivoting to when they're being squeezed in terms of disposable income. Well, well, Bonwin thinks there could be the cracks in the consumer as well. Bonwin, thank you very much. All right, we're going to find out. Watching, I guess, names like Yeti and some of the other sort of higher-end specialty companies. All right, coming up, 
some dark clouds in the options fix. Okta hitting a new 52-week low, and traders are betting on some more pain ahead, unless you're short the stock, of course. But before that, fertilizer fury. Some ag stocks ripping lately, but is it too late to make any real money on these games? Fast money, back in two. All right, welcome back. Well, the grass sure seems to be greener for fertilizer stocks and investors lately. Mosaic and CF Industries soaring double digits in just the past month. Mosaic at a more than 10-year high, CF at an all-time high. They've doubled, in fact, since I tweeted about these names back on September 17th. As high natural gas prices cause European producers to cut back on their output, maybe benefiting the U.S. companies. Dig into the trade, though. BMO Capital Markets, Joel Jackson, joining us now. He is Managing Director in Equity Research for Chemicals and Fertilizers. Bizarrely, before I got into TV, I used to trade these myself, the actual fertilizers, not the stocks. So I know a little bit about their business and how it runs. I mean, how important, Joel, is it for these companies, the U.S. versions and maybe Canada, too, to have these low natural gas inputs? Because in Europe, they're paying $30 an MBTU for nat gas. They're killing ammonia production. We're paying 5 it's good to be American and Canadian right now. Absolutely. Yep. The North American fertilizers are seeing $30 gas discounts right now. And and uh, this could be a sustainable advantage for a long time. And with Russia-Ukraine war going on right now, who knows when it gets better. So I think that these companies, CF, Nutri, Mosaic, are going to see some of their best earnings. And I, I think you can still fly into the sun with these names. We we still got uh, we still got some room here to go up. Okay, well, so let's get into that. Let's. There's still some room here, Joel, because they, they've been hot. And they've been red hot lately. Nobody talked about these companies forever. Now they're all the rage. But they've doubled. Let's be clear. They, they've doubled. I mean, is their net income going up 30 percent? Is their EBITDA going up 30 percent? I mean, is there are farmers not going to be able to afford to pay the kind what are they paying? Fifteen hundred a ton now. It used to be three hundred a year and a half ago. I do wonder if these stocks have just come too far too fast and the price of the end product is simply too high. Look, I, I think we're seeing these companies that mark to markets on spot fertilizer prices may do three or four times mid-cycle EBITDA right now, run rate. Um, but we're still seeing prices go up to a point. We're seeing nitrogen prices go up to about $1,000 a ton urea. We're seeing phosphate go well over 1000 Potash is now floating over $1,000 a ton. And, and like, where is it going to get better right now? You've got significant sanctions against Belarus and Potash. They've been shut down for a couple of months. You've got, you know, Russia is also a large player in Potash, obviously. They've got some challenges. Sanctions are everywhere. Uh, natural gas prices are high, you know, everything. And especially the Ukrainian crops got to get planted very soon or we could have finished an egg. So it feels like the data boards are going to get better before they get worse. So what are the chances then, uh, if you look at both of the, the, two, the two biggest right now, Mosaic and CF Industries, do you look at CF as, a, as one that has more upside at this point in time or is Mosaic the one you'd pick if you had those two to look at? I gotta be honest, like we would do a basket of CF, Nutri, and Mosaic, okay? I'm gonna be honest. Now, let me tell you why. It's tough to figure out what is more crazy right now, that natural gas in Europe is in the 30s or that a third of the world's potash is stressed by sanctions. I mean, if I have to think about it on a, on, a, on a peace settlement, whatever that's gonna look like, you know, we could see maybe potash hang on a bit longer because the Russian, the, excuse me, the Belarusian sanctions might be more, uh, stick around for longer, in which case maybe you wanna own Nutri and Mosaic more. Uh, because you might see natural gas prices fall in Europe on a, on a settlement. Yeah, but I, I do wonder, Joel, to my previous point, is it going to get to a breaking point where the farmers either cut back on their on their crops, have a lower yield, which, by the way, is terrible for global food production, or they're just going to be able to pay these prices 
and then pass it through. Farmers have to buy fertilizer, but they don't have to buy as much every season as I understand it. So our CF and Mosaic and the others are still going to be able to sell the same amount of product as they would in, in a normal year. Look, I think for the spring, we're fine. We have enough inputs. Farmers will walk in, in North for America. For this spring. That's right. As you get into the summer and you get into Brazil, starting to stock up for their mean planting season later this year. And we start thinking about fall seasons. So we start thinking about getting inputs for, for next year. You're going to have problems if things don't uh, improve. Uh, but yeah, farmers can skip potash. You need demand construction because you don't have enough supply right now. So this is why prices are going up to get demand destruction and get farmers to apply less pounds per acre and, and to switch some acres, maybe to crops that are less fertilizer intensive like wheat or soybeans to offset all the supply problems. So what you're saying is true. I think for this fall, excuse me, for this spring, we're gonna be generally fine, and it's, but it's gonna pile up if things don't get better soon. All right, Joel, real pleasure to have you on in what has been no doubt a, a red hot sector. Joel, thank you very much, appreciate that. Uh, Pete, let's trade this again. The names, the, there's Mosaic and there's CS, or you know, Mo, CF rather, and everybody loves them. There's some other ones too that are out there as well. Are there any mm-hmm. subsidiary picks or trades? You're up there in, in corn country, knee high by July, right? Is there any sideways <laughs> trade you like? Well, you know, what What I'm intrigued with right now, Brian, is the fact that CF, we did see some call activity in there today. So that intrigued me. I, the reason I asked the question I did is, if you look at the P.E. ratios right now of Mosaic versus like a CF, Mosaic is still extremely inexpensive relatively if you're just using that as your metric. So I'm just sort of curious about, about that. But I think when you look across... I think there's a lot of different names out there, Brian. There are a few others that are, are smaller, but certainly I think you want to go with the big names. And I think they actually, especially CF, with the exposure to energy as well as ag, that's why yeah. I'm a little bit more intrigued by that name, I think, right now. Guy? It's interesting, Brian. I think JJ did a great job. He certainly looked sharp, and I'm sure I'll be reading his stuff in the Sunday papers this weekend. But I'll say this. You're looking for second derivative plays. Look at Deere and Company, formerly John Deere had a parabolic move, still trading below a market multiple 16 times next year's numbers. You have 12% EPS growth, 11% revenue growth. Despite the move, yeah. I think DE can continue Anybody to go with higher. A C- what about CNH? Got a new CEO, Scott Wine, formerly Polaris. Pete, I think you know him. We had him on WEX, Worldwide Exchange, a couple weeks ago. He sounded very bullish. Anybody with a CNH eye view? No. Obviously, they go I just got severed. Don't, don't the lawyers, they, they know the question or the answer they're going to ask ahead of time here? Uh, I think so. No, yeah. no, 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 it's you're called leading the witness. Yeah, know your, know your audience here. There we go. All right. All right. Well, I just got severed. <laughs> I got, su- got su- sub-Romanian. All right. Speaking of the farm life, here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the CEO of Agco. Catch that full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox. Not him, but his ideas. With the investing club. Sign up now at cbc.com slash join the club or by using your QR code on your screen. Coming up, cloudy options. Okta hitting a new 52-week low today down 20% this month. But is there any value here in this identity and security company? We're going to be hearing from the options pits with fast money returns. All right, welcome back. Let's check out Okta, hitting a brand new 52-week low today after falling more than 10% its lows of the session. Stocks went under pressure all week after news of a hack that affected nearly 400 corporate customers. 
The news isn't much better in the stock's options, where traders are betting on even more losses ahead. Mike Toe joining us now to break down the action here in a, in a, in a real money-losing company. Mike. Yeah, so right now this thing uh, peaked to trough is down about 50% from its uh, 52-week highs. At this point, we saw about four times the average daily options volume today, and bearish bets outpaced bullish ones. The biggest bearish bet that we saw was in the April 135 puts. We saw a buyer pay about $5.90 a contract for 867 of those. The buyer of those contracts is betting a little over a half a million dollars in premium that the weakness that we've been seeing in Okta could continue. They're betting on a decline of at least 10% by April expiration, which due to Good Friday is actually going to be uh, only three weeks from today. And I would also point out that the options premiums in general, also very high in Okta. The implied move between now and then is about $17 higher or lower. But as we can see, this trader is betting that it's going to be to the downside. Well, Bono, if they've had that trade on for a little bit, they've made a lot of money. I mean, are you as negative as that trader appears to be? Not necessarily quite as negative, but definitely understand the justification. I mean, on RAE basis, the fundamentals are already challenging. But when I think about options trading, it's about short term and momentum and timing. The momentum definitely is negative, And I can understand why the trader would continue to ride into the, uh, the momentum to the downside. Makes a lot of sense. All right, Mike and Bono, and thank you very much. Reminder, everybody, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow night, every Friday night, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And up next, it is your final trade. All right, mark your calendars. CNBC's Healthy Returns is coming up March 30th, featuring CEOs of Johnson & Johnson, Walgreens, and United Healthcare, plus a whole lot more. Go to cnbcevents.com to register. All right, time now for your final trades. Go around the horn. Pete and Jerry, kick it off. I'm going to kick it off with this. At the end of the day, we had nothing but buying in all the cannabis names, names like Canopy, names like Tilray. You go across, all of them were getting bought in hopes of what's happening as far as the federal uh, voting that they're going to be doing on legalization. Yep. I'm going to give you Canopy as my final trade. Yeah, Tim's been on the Twitter with that today. Bonowin? A lot of times when we're trading these volatile markets, particularly in the commodity space, we talk about beta. Well, hedges can take away that beta. Cotera doesn't have that problem. CTRA, ride the wave. Guy Dami. You got your RBI all set for tomorrow. You did 10 the hard way, as you mentioned. You chose not to acknowledge my Joe Jackson reference when I said, you know, I'll read it on the Sunday papers and he looks sharp. I mean, you just gloss right over that. I don't know what else I can give you. I gave you ASP. I gave you REM. But you know what I'm going to give you? Oracle, which has performed extraordinarily well since reporting earnings a week, week and a half ago. What can I say about Joe Jackson? I guess I was stepping out mentally. Boom! And he was going for shoeless Joe there. Um, listen, this is taking a page from Guy Dami. And, you know, listen, if we were to have a leg low in the S&P 500, I think you might see, for the wrong reasons, a flight to quality in treasuries. I'd be buying the TLT for a pullback, maybe. Buying the TLT after this bond route. Yeah. It's been crushed. Yeah, it's a little contrarian, Sully. That's what we do here on Fast I like it. Is that what you do here on Fast yeah, we're, we're wide awake. It's not it's 5 a.m. Another REM yeah, reference. Yeah. There we go. I'm wide awake. It's morning. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money, everybody. <laughs> Mad Money. Jim Cramer starts right now. Take care. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 